Hi, y'all. Please note, this episode contains graphic, homophobic, and discriminatory language, which may be disturbing to some listeners. Welcome to The Real Ethics, where we talk all things real related to ethics and reference to professional practices and pop culture. I'm your host, Ronnie Brooks. In this episode, we look at discrimination in the workplace settings and how the LGBTQIA are more likely to experience harassment, abuse, and attacks than heterosexual employees, and the role of employers, businesses, and various industries of creating a space of inclusivity that ensure all employees, no matter their sexuality, gender identity, race, etc., are treated fairly with dignity. What can I do for you? I've, uh, I've been fired by Wyatt Wheeler. Plan on bringing a wrongful termination suit against Charles Wheeler and his partners. You want to sue Wyatt Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown? Correct. I'm seeking representation. Uh, come on in. Yeah, would you mind hitting the windows? Hey. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, come on in. Come on in. Kenneth Robert, Charles, Walter, and Lydia. Thanks for coming in. Oh, of course. Uh, Andy, before we begin, uh, I'd just like to say that everyone in this room is your friend. I know that, Charles. More than your friend. Family. Charles, I must apologize again for the Highline mishap yesterday. That, that was some scary moment around here. <laughs> wow, thank God that the complaint was found and and no damage was done. This time? What about next time? There won't be a next time. I guarantee it. Yeah. It's just that uh, something's come over you lately, Andy. I don't know. Some kind of stupor, uh, fogginess. Uh... Some people think you have an attitude problem, Beckett. Really? Who thinks that? I do. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Let me put it this way, Andy. Your place in the future of this firm is no longer secure. We feel it isn't fair to keep you here when your prospects are limited. And now, uh, I don't want to rush you out of here. We've got a committee meeting. Excuse me, Charles. With all due respect, this is is preposterous. It it, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, you're right, Beckett. You don't have an attitude problem. Take it easy, Walter. If you had lost confidence in me, why'd you give me the Highline suit? Andy, you nearly blew the entire case, for Christ's sakes. That alone is inexcusable. It would have been catastrophic for us. Uh Uh-huh. So you were concealing your illness. You ever tell Charles Wheeler you were gay? No, I I didn't. Why not? You don't bring your personal life into a law firm. You're not supposed to have a personal life, really. Anyway, I did plan to tell Charles eventually, but then this, oh, something happened at the Racket Club uh, about three three years ago. Somebody started telling some jokes. (laughs) 
Express and ESP at the same time. I don't know, Roger. What do you call her? A bitch who knows everything. <laughs> Sounds like someone I know. And <laughs> Walter, how good is a faggot faking orgasm? He throws a quart of hot yogurt on your back. That I never told him I was gay. Just very relieved. The clips that were just played was from the culturally significant 1993 film Philadelphia, written by Ron Nysener and directed by Jonathan Demme, and starring Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. The first clip shows a scene of how discrimination comes front and center when the sexual identity and HIV diagnosis of the film's golden boy lawyer is revealed and results in his redundancy. The second clip shows us how employees engage in locker room talk and use harassment form language in the form of comments about one's sexual orientation. This film addresses discrimination from all angles, looking at HIV and AIDS, homosexuality, and homophobia in America, highlighting the long history of discrimination experienced by the LGBTQ, including harassment in the workplace settings, sexual harassment, microaggression, hate crimes and violence, and exclusion from employment, housing, public spaces, and social institutions. For example, statistics provided by Pride Legal and Catalyst in 2019 and 2020 estimate that 90% of transgender individuals report workplace discrimination based on sexual identity, and that one-fifth, which is 20% of the LGBTQ Americans, have experienced discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity when applying for jobs, and that over half of 53% of LGBTQ employees heard lesbian and gay jokes at work, while 37% heard bisexual jokes and 41% heard transgender jokes in 2018. This does not include the discrimination that occurs among the intersectional group of the LGBTQ community, like lesbians and women of color and transgenders. This is an ethical dilemma we will be reeling out this episode. Understanding workplace discrimination and the acronym LGBTQIA. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Andrew. When you're brought up the way I am, the way most people are in this country, there's not a whole lot of discussion about homosexuality or uh, what do you call it, alternate lifestyles. As a kid, you're taught that queers are funny, queers are weird, queers dress up like their mother, that they're afraid to fight, that they. They're a danger to little kids, and that all they want to do is to get into your pants. And that pretty much sums up the general thinking out there, if you want to know the truth about it. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're very welcome. So what is discrimination? There's a great scene within the movie Philadelphia in which Tom Hanks' character and Denzel Washington character meet within a library setting, and they kind of go over the 1964 Civil Rights Act um, law regarding discrimination policies and what the law entails, and then breaking down what discrimination actually is. I'm going to play it so we can have a listen. Educational Rehabilitation Act of 1973 prohibits discrimination against otherwise qualified handicapped persons who are able to perform the duties required by their employment. Although the ruling did not address the specific issue of HIV and AIDS discrimination. Subsequent decisions have held that AIDS is protected as a handicap under law, not only because of the physical limitations it imposes, 
because the prejudice surrounding AIDS exacts a social death which precedes which precedes the actual physical one. This is the essence of discrimination. Formulating opinions about others not based on their individual merits, but rather on their membership in a group with assumed characteristics. Sexual orientation discrimination refers to harassment or differential treatment based on sexual orientation or transgender status or gender identity. Unfortunately, we live in a world and a society where ethical codes of conduct and laws are necessary to ensure equal representation and treatment of all employees in a workplace setting. This includes discriminatory behaviors towards individuals or groups based on sexual orientation or identity. So continue listening as we talk with the LGBTQIA advocate, behavior analyst, and podcast creator and host of Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis, Cammie Morgan, in this episode, Ethics and Respecting the Alphabet. And let's rule it out. No matter what you do in your artistic expression, you are never, ever allowed to upset the alphabet people. You know who I mean. Those people that took 20% of the alphabet for themselves. I'd say the letters, but I don't want to conjure their anger. It's too late now. I'm talking about them L's and them B's and them G's and the T's. Surprise! I have friends, all kinds of letters. Everybody loves me, and I love everybody. I got friends who are L's, I got friends who are B's, and I got friends who are G's. But the T's hate my fucking guts. <laughs> and I don't blame them. It's not their fault. It's mine. I can't stop telling jokes about these things. I don't want to write these jokes, but I just can't stop. those letters together all the time, LBGT, LBGT, and you think it's just one big movement. It's not. All those letters are their own movement. They just travel in the same car together. In 2017, Dave Chappelle's comedy special Sticks and Stones on Netflix throws stones at a sensitive topic concerning the acronym LGBTQ. And especially talks about the challenges of understanding the letters of the acronym with raw comedy, but at the expense of the LGBTQ community. To be honest, I am ignorant of this and found the stand-up to be hilarious. However, I also was able to recognize how this may be viewed and as hurtful and insensitive to those within the LGBTQ community. To become more socially aware and culturally sensitive of this acronym and discuss the significance of understanding and respecting the alphabet, I spoke with LGBTQIA advocate, behavioral analyst, and podcaster creator, and host of Love, Sex, and Applied Behavioral Analysis, Cammie Morgan. And this is how our conversation went. Why is it important that we acknowledge and understand the acronym LGBTQIA? I think it's important simply because people's identities are important. And I think that without that recognition and without that understanding, uh, we would completely erase um, 
all of these or some of those intersections between identities that all of us have um, and all of our identities show up. I think in a way that um, for people who are maybe more privileged and who are less marginalized don't understand. And uh, me being a lesbian, me being a black lesbian, me being cisgender, um, these all affect my day-to-day life. I'm very, uh, these identities are very um, oppressed while they're simultaneously, um, you know, kind of uh, privileged. And so I think without that acknowledgement, um, we just wouldn't necessarily kind of, I think, understand people um, in a kind of more complete and full way. And maybe for the listeners, you can break down the acronym um, to explain it better for us. That L is for lesbian. So, um, you know, ide- or not ideally, but what we tend to think of as like two like cis women, um, you know, being attracted to each other. Um, this also does inc- include all women though. So trans women included if in, um, gay is the, uh, acronym or the, the representation I have to say of gay men and their attraction to each other. B is for bisexuality. T is for trans. Um, that I tends to be for intersex. Um, the Q is for like the queer identities. Um, the A is for asexual. And then there's a plus at the end because there's also um, many identities within all of those identities as well, such as pansexual, um, I guess just to name one. But yeah, so it's just kind of a matter of describing people who are not necessarily identifying in these traditional um, heterosexual identities. What are some of the common ethical challenges faced by the LGBTQI community in a workplace setting? Bullying, hiring, and firing based on sexual orientation or gender identity that may affect one's ability to get a promotion and result in pay discrimination, et cetera, and maybe also break down and discuss the different levels and types of harassments experienced within the community, such as when it comes to the LGBTQ, women of color, and transgender. One, just disclosure, to be honest, I think especially because I present as a feminine presenting woman, um, there is this assumption, for example, that like I have a husband. Um, there's this assumption that I'm straight. There's this assumption that I have or want children, for example, um, that in my case, for all of those examples, it's just simply not true. Um, I think specifically when it comes to the field uh, of applied behavior analysis or just behavior analysis as a whole, um, because we have that assumption about people, there is this assumed heterosexuality that we oftentimes don't Um, again, kind of understand our clients and our scholars as who they are as people. There's a high correlation. Studies show um, a high correlation between autistic community, the autistic community and the LGBTQIA plus community. I think people don't understand that it's still illegal professionally to be gay in most states. So while I, yeah, and so like while I am out, um, that's a privilege that I that I choose to take, but it's also a risk. And and um, I could literally just be fired, you know what I mean, just for for uh, being attracted to um, and having the, the gender of the spouse that I have. Um, I think pronouns, um, I think the trans community, especially the black trans community has, um, it's just very dangerous, unfortunately, because of a lot of ignorance, because of a lot of hate. Um, Black trans women in particular 
are literally hired or are literally murdered, I should say, at higher rates um, than than anybody else in this LGBTQIA plus community. I think the life expectancy for black trans women is 35, 35 years old. And I think right now we're um, just at the beginning of March and there's already been um, a ninth that we know of trans woman that has been brutally murdered. And even that, like the fact that we don't know that, the fact that in a lot of these protests, we don't, we only focus on um, the binary as far as murders and as far as oppression and, and injustice. I think we as practitioners have to, I think especially in a field where, where we are literally supposed to be serving an entire person, like not just diagnosis or not just whatever. Um, I think we just have to be better so that we're better able to, again, like support and really serve all of these communities that, that we want to. The more people who hold these privileges make themselves more aware and then take it a step further and, and actionably advocate for for their their more marginalized counterparts, then these things will finally be able to change. To be honest, the like the majority of the discrimination I have suffered has been due to my blackness, not due to my lesbian identity. And that to me is why this intersectionality approach needs to be a standard. But what I will say is there is this fear, I think, of disclosure that I feel, um, especially because we work with children and because my sexuality is stigmatized, there is this like, we're not going to tell a child about this as though my life and, and who I love and who, you know, I'm committed to is somehow like perverted and that only somebody who's like, I don't know, maybe a teenager can can know that I don't have a husband and that I won't have a husband or as though like a child's mind can't like wrap itself around this idea. Um, so I have not suffered much, I think, discrimination um, per, like per se towards my sexuality, but there definitely is this fear that has been reinforced about do I correct this family when they when they ask me about my husband? Do I correct people when they assume that I'm straight? Do I tell my client when they ask me if I have a boyfriend? And for me, I do. I correct them every single time, if for nothing else, because it's my truth and I'm not going to put myself back in the closet. And again, that is a privilege. It is a risk, but it's a privilege that I'm able to to, to have that perspective, but also because representation matters. Like I knew without me knowing that there was a word called like lesbian, I knew who I was by, by way of who I was attracted to as a child. I vividly remember teachers that were gay. And I remember um, feeling so represented. You know what I mean? I remember being like, well, this is no like they're, they're normal, just like I am. Me having this privilege of presenting as feminine, much more of my discrimination um, has kind of come uh, by way of my blackness. Yeah. Um, so there is this, um, there's this reinforcement for being able to pass. And I think especially for the trans community, um, you know, being able to pass as whatever your gender is, there is, I think, even within the community, um, more reinforcement for that. There's definitely more discrimination for not being able to. So for example, um, 
many trans women if they don't quote unquote by our societal um, limited definition kind of look like a woman right if they look like a man that had and, and again this is all huge air quotes if they look like a man who um, is dressed um, as a woman and again whatever that means because we all know that this is all how we were conditioned to believe um, there is this risk there's more of a risk I should say of honestly being murdered <laughs> um, then there's this risk of you know, disclosure. People are so quick to say, well, I think it's rude that transgender people don't disclose that they're trans. And it's like, but don't you understand that with or without disclosure, again, their life expectancy, not due to like illness, not due to anything besides murder, is already so short. So there is this, this risk of disclosure. Um, aside from the trans community, though, even me, like there are certain privileges that I have, again, being a cisgender woman, but please believe the amount of sexual harassment that I get from men when, um, and I should say, I should, I should have said there's so many privileges of me being a feminine passing woman, excuse me. Please believe though, the sexual harassment I get from men when I say that I'm not interested, the disrespect that I get when I tacked on then why I'm not interested. But then on the opposite side, you have my spouse who is a little bit more androgynous. Please believe that because she does not pass as all the time as a quote unquote, like uh, some feminine presenting woman, she also gets shit. Um, if she was even more masculine presenting, she'd get shit for trying to be huge air quotes like a man. And just it's all of these, um, it's all of these kind of, I think, mind fucks around like the closer I look to heterosexual, whatever that may even mean, um, the more privileged I am. And so I think that in of itself, especially um, when it comes to our trans brothers and sisters, it is extremely dangerous, it's extremely sad, and it's extremely problematic. This is a global issue. Uh, the, the lack of safety that, and again, like the lack of basic human rights, it's very, I mean, the fact of the matter is even for trans people to actually transition, they have to somehow prove that that the validity of, of them wanting to transition through countless hours, count, I mean, expensive hours from psychiatrists and psychologists. And it's very, very, it's just such a, it's a privilege. It's a privilege for, for us to be and to feel like we fit into that binary. Um, and I, I think, I think we just all have to do better. And that is the reason why like last summer, um, I think it was in Washington where um, for the BLM protest, people were like writing like Black Lives Will Matter. And then somebody said all Black Lives Matter. And a lot of people had an issue with that. And I'm like, but do you all understand that we aren't going hard for our trans sisters who are being murdered at disproportionate rates than anybody else. We are not protesting. We are not fighting for their rights. We're not. And, and it is important that, that, that if we're going to say this bullshit of all lives matter or black lives matter or whatever, that we really are including every single one of us or else none of us are going to win. What does inclusivity look like in a workplace? And like, you know, with all the challenges that come with discrimination, how do we create a safe and open space where we share ideas and challenge and learn from one another and support of individuals within the LGBTQI community? In my opinion, we have to always center the most marginalized voice in every context of every conversation, knowing that that may change. Um, so 
and, and I think we also have to center impact over intent. There's so many questions that I get asked. There's so many, um, you know, just honestly like violent or racist or whatever remarks or comments that I hear um, because from by well-meaning people that, you know, I'm just curious or I'm just, I don't give a damn if you're curious, like, unless you're going to pay me to consult about this, why do you think that you have consent to ask me that? You know what I mean? Cause, cause you don't really. Um, and then as far as like centering marginalized voices, I think what we have to understand is just because somebody is, is tolerated in a place that does not mean that they're welcome. So sure, because of the, um, I think it was like one of the equal rights laws that was passed, I don't know, like in the maybe 70s, 80s, 90s, I don't know, that's like a 30 year span, but somewhere then, you know, we all have the, all these companies have these anti-discrimination policies, right? That, you know, we will not, this, this, we're equal opportunity employers, we will not discriminate against you based on your race, your religion, your ethnicity, your, your whatever. But we all also know but that's not actually true. Like these are like formalities that legally companies are able to, to like have to put in. So it's like, okay, it's cool. So like, how do we change the culture? What does that look like? Well, that looks like actually having mandatory. And, and I know DEI right now is like this hot topic or whatever, but really like it needs to be in depth. We need to hire and have mandatory practices ongoing of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. We need to understand from the top, in my opinion, from the top down, these CEOs um, need to know that not only should you hire, you know, gay, lesbian, trans, cute, like, you know, queer, whoever identities, but that you're hiring them to be also in these equal positions that, that, you know, our straight, our white, our cis, whatever counterparts are in. Um, but also let's have some policies in place for when employers and clients harass us. Let's have some anti-harassment policies in place. Let's have a zero tolerance for clients who outwardly, stupidly um, exhibit racist or homophobic or transphobic or sexist or whatever, you know, behaviors. Um, it's so much, I think sometimes we, we just think that kind of putting like a bandaid on these things is enough. Um, but most of us see right through it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, us as black women, I think we know exactly what it's like for us to be able to be hired at a job, but not to be appreciated. I still have to code switch. I can't have my natural hair. I have to whatever. And it's like, we have to then generalize, I think that same kind of empathy and understanding to other communities as well. Cause the reality is me as a black woman, I am not in most of these spaces, the most marginalized person in the context of that space. But you know, who is my black trans sister? I mean, we all deserve to go to the bathroom without somebody arguing without, with, with telling me where I can like, pee. You know what I mean? Like we all deserve to have, I mean, basic things like all companies should have a place for people to nurse their kid. All companies should have policies in place for maybe even more neutral language. Um, one of the, the Facebook groups that I admin, we really try to model that neutral language. So instead of saying like my husband or my wife, for example, saying my spouse, so that somebody like me doesn't have to disclose or correct somebody, um, you know, about me not having a husband. Um, I think intentionality is missing. Um, and the reality is intentionality is not a moneymaker and we live in a capitalistic society. And so it's no surprise to me that it's missing, but it's very hard when it's like your life and your identity on that chopping block. 
Um, and so I really do think that intentionality from more privileged people, and I'm not saying that even within people's privileges that they don't have their fair share of trauma or their fair share of um, oppression, but I think we really just have to always center who is the most marginalized in the context of this conversation, in the context of this company. And, and we need to see this as an us problem. Like it is not the trans community's job to fight their way out of an oppression that they didn't create. It's not us, you know, gay or lesbian or bi or, you know, whoever's job to fight our way out of an oppression that we did not create. I think the reality is a lot of these policies are rooted in this religious oppression that a lot of us don't even subscribe to these religions and we're just all living in it, even though we're simultaneously saying there has to be a distinction between church and state. It's really just this contradiction. And I think if we all just kind of wake up and we decide, okay, well, I do have this privilege in this capacity. How can I leverage that privilege for, um, you know, my brothers and my sisters or my people? I think we kind of have to start there. On June 15, 2020, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 protects employees from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. This means that workers across the U.S. can no longer be fired for being LGBT. As stated by Julia Levison Warner, it is now unlawful under the federal law to discriminate against an employee because of that person's sexual orientation or transgender status. It's shocking to think that only two years ago that more than 25 states did not have laws protecting gay employees from discrimination. This court decision basically confirms that discrimination based upon sexual orientation or gender identity is discrimination and therefore unlawful. With the previous administration attempt and success with overturning past legislation to protect the rights of LGBT from workplace discrimination, it's good to hear and read that the Catalyst cites that in 2020, 93% of Fortune 500 companies have non-discrimination policies that include sexual orientation. Even though this is deemed to be progress, it's hard to say how far we have come and how much we have accomplished. What we do know is that we have a long way to go and learning and respecting the alphabet is the first step. Please check out the resources and articles referenced in this episode to educate yourself and become culturally aware of this ongoing social and ethical dilemma faced by members of the LGBTQI communities. Once again, thank you for listening and please tune in every fortnight on Thursday for our next episode. And if you like what you're hearing and would like to continue reeling out ethical dilemmas with us, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. And it's that time to say that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.